Welcome to the Get Real About Safety podcast. In our podcast, we discuss the new view of safety, what works and what doesn't work, to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Pam, and we appreciate you listening. Please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast. You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. So good morning and happy Friday, Nicole. Good morning, Sam. Nice to have you back with us here today. And uh, before we get started, how are you doing? Anything new and exciting in your life? Uh, We're doing well. Um, Work continues and construction continues, and we're getting used to the new normal of uh, implementing COVID protection and prevention measures on our sites. So it's becoming a lot more routine. So no sign of that backing off at any time here for a while anyway, the precautions? So yet, I, I think it's going to take um, quite a few more months before we really see the evidence that we want to see to be able to back off of those measures. Well, uh, Nicole, I know you did a, um introduction to yourself on a previous podcast, but... Um, Let's go ahead and do that again for me, if you would tell everyone who you are and who you work for, a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Nicole Ivers, and I work for Bats and Cook Construction here in Atlanta. Um, I'm the HSC Director for our Health, Safety, and Environmental Department. And I'm originally from Michigan, moved down here many years ago, uh, did a stint of quite a few years in the Middle East working internationally, and now I'm back uh, working in uh, construction here. We focus mainly on commercial, healthcare, and uh, wood frame construction. And you had not been uh, on board with your current company for long when, you know, six months or so when the COVID situation came and hit. So that was, it's been a little bit of rocky road. But you've been doing some really great work over there and it's encouraging to see. And I know that um, we've talked about the importance of reporting and sometimes the struggles we face about that. One of Todd Conklin's quotes, and I probably butcher it up and other people have said something similar, but uh, something to the effect that information is the lifeblood of our safety culture. So if we don't know, we can't fix it, right? So um, why do you think reporting is so important and why do you think we have problems getting information? I think there's a a couple different answers um, in that one, but I think first of all, when we think of reporting, we think of reporting incidents. And even though we're sometimes struggling still to get that kind of data reported, there's this whole range of, of safety-related data and metrics that you know, we, we want to be able to collect, we want to be able to measure. And I think we've struggled in the safety industry of, of 
getting that data and doing a good job of measuring it and evaluating it and assessing it to make business decisions. Just like with any other data that you collect in a business, you know, your financial data, sure. scheduling data, safety data is, is just as important, if not even more important, if you look at the fact that this is what um, can help protect people's lives and, and well-being. So I think that there's a, a huge issue behind uh, the idea of safety data in the first place. Um, and so there, there's a lot of different ways that, that we need to approach this. And one of the questions, the big question is, why aren't we getting the data reported to us in the first place? Right. So what are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely not a new question. I think that um, you know we've we've struggled with this, and and we haven't really been able to overcome the real root cause of this. Is part of it, I think, is just human behavior. It doesn't matter what field that you're you're in. Nobody wants to give uh, what is perceived as bad news or or negative news to anybody. So I think that that just human nature. You have a that's true. Uh, a reluctance to to readily report that, um, especially if you think that you can fix it or make it a little bit easier to hear. Uh, so I think that that's part of the the deep root cause. Uh, but also we have just this this old culture around safety reporting that we're trying to overcome, and we have people that have been working in in these fields, not just construction but in industry as well, for years and years and years, and they have either not ever been requested or required to report it in the first place. And they've possibly even been encouraged and um, rewarded for flipping something under the rug or keeping it on the down low, or most importantly, keeping it from the safety people. Yes. And, and so I think that ties in somewhat to the, um, the, culture uh, of communicate or a lack of communication that we've had particularly in, in construction but I say it in other industries as well where the communication style between supervision and workers is generally not one in which workers are uh, ready and willing to tell them something that they may not want to hear and so that requires a different approach uh, and you have been using that different approach um, and letting people know that there's not going to be punishment for reporting, but how important it is to, to know the answer to that. And yet you still have that resistance. Um, how, how do you think you can go about breaking down some of those barriers? I think we've, we've done a few different things to try and make it, um, as easy and painless as possible for people to to report. So uh, we have tried to educate everybody. It's something that we talk about on a regular basis whenever we get the opportunity is how important this is and in educating people on how we use this data and how this information helps them. So you have to be able to take that data and then turn around and show some kind of response or change or improvement to show that that we're doing something with this, that we're listening to them. Exactly, and and that's something that you know I've seen uh, over the years where 
I've had workers tell me that, in fact, is, well, you have this issue and, and that you've told me about, and why haven't you told anybody from management? Well, because, you know, I told them about something six months ago and they've never fixed it, so what's the point? So that, that making sure that, and a lot of times I think that it's, um, it's not that management didn't fix it, it's that the fix may not be happening right now and there may be plans to do the fix or workarounds for the fix. And where our failure was is to go back to the worker and, and tell them, you know, first of all, thank you for telling us about this and here's what we're doing and, and, and it may not be, you know, we can't replace that piece of equipment without doing a capital expenditure request or whatever. And that, but in the meantime, here's what we want to do to protect you. But no information means to the worker, they don't care. True. And, and no response or no reaction is just as bad as the wrong reaction. That's right. So, that's, that's right. Yeah, the bigger part of that is helping to train and, and coach people on how to react to the news of, of an incident, an injury, um, or something that just was a significant um, non-injury event. So, so coaching them on how they receive that information and how to give feedback and support to that superintendent or project manager that's making the report and making sure that they understand that they have the time and the resources to truly look into this. The, the worst reaction you can have is anger yes. or name calling or something like, okay, fine, when do we start back up? Right. Uh, and that, even though that may not be something that they actually mean, you know, they're not saying don't investigate, but by saying, how quickly can we get started again? It, it's that subliminal message that that's the most important thing is just getting past this. And, and I think that, that they just, a lot of times haven't been taught, so our management folks haven't been taught how, how, to, how to go about uh, talking. You know, for example, encourage folks to actually thank people for reporting, you know, or even, and I, I think you've done some of this. Um, in the past, we have, and it's been problematic, we have rewarded not reporting or we have created reward structures that actually reward workers for not reporting. Um, so, you know, what do you think about actually rewarding people for reporting? Yeah, well, I think that that's the, the whole shift in reward and recognition programs in right. general and making sure that we're we're very careful about how we reward and, and how the behaviors will follow that. So, so obviously we know in safety now, we, we really don't want to reward and emphasize on lost time, um, you know, the number of hours without a lost time injury or, right. or injuries, because that really does drive an underreporting. Um, so we really want to recognize, recognize people on actual tangible behaviors, which, uh, increases your your baseline behavior and you can continue to to drive that up with a balance of reward and recognition for the right behaviors 
Absolutely. Instead of the reward for not having an accident, right? Um, you talked about the data and the importance of having that data, which is somewhat uh, ironic that, again, we use data so intensely in all areas of the organization, with the exception of safety, or if we are tracking data, often it's only the, um, okay, I can't think of a polite way to say um, what I'm thinking about the recordable incident rate, right? Uh, there are better, there's better data to measure. Yes, we measure that for, for OSHA record keeping purposes, but what are some of the other data um, measurements that, that you've been using or think about using? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that you can measure. And one of the, the most difficult things is, is how we gather that information. And, and when you're trying to measure how much somebody values safety or, or the ownership of safety, it's a very you know, gray thing to try and measure, which is why we really haven't measured. And, it, and it's a lot based on somebody's judgment. You know, one person may think, you know, so-and-so is a, is a real safety champion but we know that by certain actions, you know, he's not actually, you know, doing that or displaying it. So a lot of the metrics that, that we want to focus reporting on is, is training and completion of training. Um, we call them blue vest walks, but some kind of senior management observation walk. And, and yes. while you can't necessarily measure um, the quality of it, right off the bat, at least performing it is a measure that you can focus on. And then you can work on increasing the quality. Um, we use a data observation system now that we collect, um, we perform inspections, and everybody across our project is required to participate in at least a weekly inspection. So now we're gathering that data, they're performing inspections, which is measurable, uh, we have observations that need to be addressed and closed out. And through that, we can look at trends as well and, and measure, measure those. Um, incident reporting, and are those being reported within a certain time period? Is there an event analysis or a learning um, team that conducts a meeting afterwards? What do you learn from that? And is that dispersed amongst the company to share those lessons? So those are things that we can all measure that um, gives us a better picture of how our system is performing. Yeah, you hit on a couple of uh, a, a couple of things there that were were pretty good. That what you're basically talking about is is a lot of activity measurements rather than uh, you know. So they're more leading, obviously leading indicators rather than the lagging or the loss indicators. Um, that's a, uh, uh, and it's more fair. What one of the problems with the recordable incident rate, to me, has has been the unfairness of it. You know, since it's so dependent upon how much, how many man hours you work on any particular job or plant or project, um, it, it's not a statistically valid measurement. I know you and I have talked about that at great length. Um, that, that it's not a statistically valid. We wouldn't use 
a measurement system in our organization to measure production that was not statistically valid. You know, we wouldn't even think about doing that. Um, so yes, we have to do that from the OSHA record keeping standpoint, but it's, it should not be a good barometer for how our company is doing. Um, unfortunately, some of the owners out there use it as a barometer, although that's going away to some extent. Um, one of the things I think that, and I like your thoughts on that, that, that I think we've failed to do a good job of in safety is measuring costs rather than this nebulous, you know, incident rate. Because people, especially in your end, well, in all industries, but management gets cost. And there have been so many times in a, in a class full of safety people that I've asked the question, you know, what, is, what was the total dollars uh, cost for your company and workers' comp claims last year? And the vast majority of the room couldn't answer it. And then to make that even worse, go out and you ask supervision that question. Or in one, one case I can think of with a um, president of a construction company um, who in a meeting it became clear that he did not understand that he was on a, on a deductible program and that those costs were coming directly out of profit of the organization. So what do you think about talking cost? Yeah, well, I think that, that that's definitely a touchy subject when it comes to introducing these into um, you know, a, a project in particular, the, the cost of, of injuries on that project. But I think it has to be just like any other metric that we would look at. I mean, of course. You, you know, you're making decisions based on uh, budgets and schedule and, and setting projections for the next year and, and how do we budget effectively. We need to know the cost to be able to do that. So I think that that's definitely something that needs to be brought into more of the discussion. And even if a project isn't necessarily penalized uh, directly for an incident that, that occurs on their project, um, it's good to know what that impact could be and of course it makes it difficult in our field because a lot of times we're measuring things that didn't actually happen so it's hard to quantify the number of injuries prevented or a fatality prevented but by looking at um, you know life-altering events or potentially life-altering events or SIFs you know we can look at how close we've come to possibly incurring those costs on the project, and of course, you know, the, the last thing that, that we want is, is a fatality or anybody to sustain a, a life-altering injury. Well, you're right, and you just hit on something. As safety professionals, you know, we want the focus to be on the fact that we care about people, and we don't, and, and that's, that's awesome, and that's true, and that's what drives most of us, the best of us, to do what we do. But at the end of the day, by, not talking, I think, I think that sometimes we're not showing our worth, not only uh, by talking about costs incurred, but also costs like you just, you just hit on it, costs that could have been incurred, you know, or, or were near hits, or 
or reductions, especially if we go back over three years and we show that, um, I know you have been a big you know, proponent on the leading edge of this, doing your best to move away from ladders and, and, and looking for alternative access points. And that if you can track the cost of ladder accidents for you know, a, a time period and then show a reduction in that cost later on, I think that resonates with management more so than talking about incident rates or whatever or OSHA regulations. Yeah, and the problem with incident rates is, that, you know, again, we, we kind of beat this one to death that we, we, don't, <laughs> we don't like these metrics. <laughs> but you, you can't compare, you can't even show any real improvement or change in your own company's performance if you're just looking at those numbers. Because it, if you, you're just quantifying the number, you're not quantifying the severity, and, and we can only do that through cost. So That's you can, right you have three injuries and the next year you have 10 and everybody says, Oh my God, you know, we're, we're doing horrible. What, what went wrong? But those three first injuries could have been very significant, you know, very costly, costly injuries. And then the next year you have 10 that end up being minor, uh, you know, injuries, maybe some small lacerations, things that aren't very costly injuries and definitely not life altering. You know, that's, to me, that's a huge improvement in, in your system. And that's showing a real change in your performance. But if you look at just that incident rate, um, you won't be able to see that. Absolutely. And I think that what that has done, and I know I'm getting, we're getting off the reporting here, but you just hit on something that's so, I'm, pretty passionate about, you know, and I've often, well, just last week, you know, said to a group of safety professionals that I'm not particularly interested if you have three guys smash their thumb with a hammer in the past 30 days. And they were just flabbergasted by that. And I said, no, I'm a lot more interested that you almost had an art flash event, you know? Um, so it changes that focus. But Let's go back to the um, why won't people report for just a minute. I, 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 you're right that it's almost human nature or, or just overall society culture that we don't want to admit when we've made a mistake. In fact, and, and I, we might have told this story before, but I think it bears repeating. We had a, a bridge builder that we did work for and a, a CEO had... Um, this large gong out in the lobby of their office. And Mike had, had gone out there to visit the CEO. And um, while he was waiting, he see, saw that gong and he asked someone, he said, what's this gong here for? And they said, well, that's uh, the CEO's idea. And it's like, for what? And they said, well, what he wants is that when someone makes a mistake, he wants them to come out and bang the gong and then we'll all come out here and we'll all share what mistake we made. Well, I think he had great intentions, but then Mike said, well, how many times has anybody ever hit the gong? And she said, never. So the problem went back to your comment earlier about the organizational reaction. Apparently the organizational reaction was inhibiting that to some degree. So yes, people don't necessarily want to admit when they've made a mistake, 
but it, it's heavily dependent upon that organizational reaction, how comfortable they feel to, to make that statement, uh, to make that. Now, I think a lot of times management doesn't know what they don't know. In other words, in, in our perception surveys and culture assessments, um, one of the questions we always ask management is how free do you feel that workers are to report to you things that happen? I don't think we've ever had a case, or it was very rare where management didn't say, oh, it's total, it's 100%, they'll, all, they'll tell you in a heartbeat. And yet you go in the same company and you go ask the workers and they go, we're not telling them unless we get caught. So how can there be such a disconnect and that's what management, management perceives that workers would tell them anything, but workers don't feel that way. I think that this is in line with a lot of other safety messaging that we have a problem getting the message all the way down. So you can have great messaging at the top. The leadership is 100% committed and they, they pass that message down to their direct reports and then they have to pass it down. And I know it, it's somewhere in that middle management level that it gets diluted. And then you have conflicting goals. So if those, if that message about safety is not reinforced continuously and, and uh, you know, with the same importance as other goals, you know, you're, you're going to lose it. So if production is, is the, the main goal and it's, it's the one that is discussed and reinforced every single day, then taking the time to report is, is not going to take the same importance. So people are going to make decisions at the site level where their time needs to, to go. And, and actually that's a, that's a good segue into, I think one of the other reasons that people don't report is time. You know, some, some incident reporting can take a lot of, a lot of time and it's difficult and you have to go online and you have to, you know, print off this form and, and if somebody perceives that as that's the first hurdle already, that it's too difficult for me to even fill out the report, you know, they're not going to keep going and, and do the rest of the investigation. So, so we've tried to make that as painless as possible. And so we have, we have an app on our phones that you can go right in and you can make a notification from your phone. It takes, you know, 10 seconds. Um, we have digital forms that allow them to type that in directly from their computer. They don't have to worry about printing it off and scanning it. So just trying to reduce um, how much effort that takes. And if they know that it only takes a couple seconds, they can make the notification um, and then get the help that they need. They get an immediate response from somebody to help support them. That reinforces that that's a positive response from from making the, the notification, making the report. That, that is fantastic. It's just that, because you're right, we've got to re remove the barriers to reporting. And that is one of the big barriers to reporting is, is the time and the cumbersomeness. The other one we've talked about, and that's management's reaction, the organizational's reaction. Um, at the worker level, um, it's even harder sometimes 
to get that reporting. Um, I know some folks have actually gone to uh, an anonymous call number, 800 number, something like that. Um, any thoughts on that? Or, or do you see the same issues at the worker level? Uh, we have implemented that type of thing on, on some of my larger projects, um, especially in the Middle East, yeah. where um, you, know, you, you want to give an opportunity for somebody to report. And we used to actually have a phone that was a dedicated line that uh. people could call in. Um, and that worked well because it was such a massive project and, and so many people. I mean, one project, we had 30,000 plus people on it. Um, so yes, we, we did use that type of system. I would say on the smaller projects, you really want to engage with the workforce. And the more you're talking to the workers and talking about how they're doing their job and what they need to do their job, you know, that information is going to come. Um, they, they want to be safe, I think, more than anybody on the job. And if we just talk to them enough, we'll find out the way things should be done and we'll find out what they need to do the work safely. No, that, you're 100% you're right there that, that a lot of that is just face-to-face -face communication. And so you, you mentioned, you know, like the blue vest walks or, or basically what I talk, call as field presence, just management getting out and getting in the field. Um, but that's where you can learn that information is by just talking to workers. Sometimes there's not. Also, um, you, you were talking about how things get lost, especially at that middle management level. It just seems it starts from senior management. And, and I see this overwhelmingly where senior management is so passionately committed to safety excellence. And then when they find out field realities of things that people are saying in the field at the worker level or foreman level, they're shocked and they're dismayed. And that re reminds me of, and I know you're well familiar with this, but just for the audience of the iceberg of ignorance of Sidney Yoshida's uh, back in 89, I think it was, uh, came up with this iceberg of ignorance. And I don't know if the numbers are 100% are correct, but um, he's basically saying that senior management is only aware of about 4% of the actual field problems out there. And that number um, gets, gets better as you get down to the work, worker level. But at the worker level, the workers have 100% knowledge of the problems. And so how do we bridge those gaps? Because you're right, ma senior management's vision gets lost on the way down if we don't break down those barriers somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that just comes from you know, continuously preaching your, your expert expectations um, and why and, and really engaging with people all along the way and then and then also asking like is there a conflict with these these things that we're asking for if we say you know can we get this job done one week early you have to talk about what are the conflicting goals to achieving that and make sure that they have an opportunity to say that yes we can do that but these are the resources that we need this is this is why we can't 
do that. This is why we can't achieve that safely. We need to actually talk about it. We can't just assume that that safety goes along with everything. We have right. to virtually reinforce that. And, and it has to go down each level um, so that we're, we're really instilling that same value down the line. And this is, this is a little bit off on a, on a tangent, but when we look at people and how they develop those values for safety, some people, it's just there. I would say that's probably fewer people than we'd like to think. I think a lot of people develop a value for safety because it becomes a condition of their employment. And that's through constantly reinforcing those expectations. And they either get on or they get off. And it might take a few years, but I've seen a lot of people truly develop a value for safety because it started as a, as a condition of, of working you know, at a certain company and it becomes habit. And, and they then start to truly value the benefit that safety has on, on their job. Oh, you, you're you're a hundred percent right there. I've you know I can think of people that I've worked with you know decades ago that were the worst when it came to safety. People in supervision, and then there was a management change or a, a cultural change within the organization, and it was you know this is the way it's going to be now. And the next thing you know, they are like you know the biggest you know pushers of safety out there that you ever could imagine. And so you change, you change people's values when the organization makes it clear what expectations are. Absolutely. Right. And with expectations comes a set of metrics that you can measure and you're, you know, reporting those. Going back to your comment about, when we have to cut a week off the schedule or a job not too long ago, it was like, we're cutting three months off the schedule. That decision gets made usually between an owner and the senior management level. And most of the time, the, the conversation doesn't happen down at the level in which work occurs about what the cost of that will be because there will be a cost. And, and that's, we use the term um, borrow from safety, uh, you know, from uh, uh, Rasmussen's model there, that when, when you now have taken away time and resource and time, you, you talked about how that's such a critical thing, is that you eat into people's time for reporting, you know, and, and all that. But now if you, cut that time off without coming up with how are we going to make that time up without cutting borrowing from safety then that's a real huge issue so so how do we get down to that where the work happens level to have those conversations or is that something you guys are talking about doing i think it's it's really engaging your pre-construction and and even sales you know, business development right from the very beginning and having them understand what your goals are out in the field and where are some of the common uh, challenges that, that we have and where, for example, in the budget do we um, 
not include enough or for a certain item. You know, it's very easy to say that we want stair towers on all of our jobs, but if it comes down to, okay, you know, we need, we need to, to get this estimate in within a certain number, you know, that, that's a tangible item that you could take off early on. So we need to make sure that everybody really understands um, the non-negotiables and what that means if we if we start taking money out or squeezing the schedule early on and and again having those conversations with the workforce because they're going to feel pressure they're going right. to to do the job faster and with less resources and they're out there just wanting to do the job they they come to work every day to do the job as well as they personally can do it and as safe as they can feasibly do it with what they're given. And so it's really up to us to make sure that we're giving our workforce every opportunity to be able to do that job safely uh, and, and looking at quality as well. That, you know, that's the other area that, that something's going to give in um, when, you, when you start crunching the schedule at the very end. Well, that goes back to why I'm, I'm the a bit of a fan about actual chargebacks to either projects or, or d d divisions because <clears throat> the, the, the weight of the decision can get heavily balanced on cutting out things, but then it only takes a job or two before folks start to realize, well, if we cut the stair towers out and then we have this then that also affects that overall profitability so somehow we have to balance those decisions but even back to um say we're going to um you know yes you're right you've got hard bid jobs it's easier negotiated work we agree with that but but with hard bid jobs and you know that if you don't reach that certain number um you're not going to get the work and you know, without work, we have no company. So when we're making those decisions, though, I, again, I still think that sometimes they get made without input from people who either are actually actively physically doing the work or have experience at doing mm -hmm. the work in the past. Because let's say, oh, well, we're going to add X number of people. And that might make sense um, at, at a senior level. But it may mean that, you know, just extra people, we still don't have enough equipment. We still don't have enough scissor lifts to do the job. So that comes back to that, you know, workers, you know, know so much more or, you know, a foreman level and so forth. They have so much information. Yeah, and I think changing the, the use of the HSE department and, and how we can benefit projects um, helping people to understand that, that our value is not just out in the field watching people work and trying to <laughs> somebody from getting their, you know, their finger caught between something. You know, our value is truly at the, the planning stages and, and getting a project set up and, and helping to set expectations, helping to communicate the requirements um, of everybody's roles so that we don't get halfway through the project and we find out that, well, nobody told me that I needed to do an inspection every week 
Uh, nobody told me that I was using a, a, a subcontractor that had a bad incident rate for EMR and that they should have been under some kind of special um, safety action plan. Uh, we need that information upfront and we need to go in with our eyes open as well. And I think that's the most important thing is that when, when you make these decisions, it has to be communicated so the team understands what, what has been cut, um, how, how we're going to change our work or our processes to do this differently so that we can still maintain that safety. Um, I've had a number of incidents in, in my past career that they were planned very well and then a change was made. And that change didn't involve the people who had planned the activity in the first part. So, so then you get out there and you realize that, that the situation has changed and then they just make do with what they've got. And, and we've had some pretty significant incidents because of that. Sure. You can, and you can track that back to, well, it wasn't just because he didn't tie off. You know, it's because that you, you never were supposed to have to tie off because everything was supposed to be completed and finished in this area and they were supposed to have permanent guardrails. So what you're basically describing is the changing role of HSE in organizations from the old day, which was our job was to be the police officers and to go out and beat people up, right? Catch them doing something wrong and write them up and to the, you know, kind of the new view, if you will, of, of HSE is that we are educators, we're technical resource, we're system analysts, we're planners, we are, uh, we measure performance, we, we, all of those the communicators uh, providing training and resources. And, and the good thing about that is that it's the reason I'm still in safety. <laughs> If the change hadn't happened, I probably would have left the field. And I think you feel that way as well. Yeah, and I think it gets better the more years that you're in this field because you, you're gaining information and knowledge every single day. Yes. Every time something happens, you learn something new. That's and, right. And that's, I think, the most rewarding part of this for me is to, to be able to discover something and how can we do it differently or how can we make it easier for the workers to do this and still still be safe and to, to discover that and share that amongst people you know we're continuously improving we're continuously learning and to be able to have that experience within my career I feel like it's it's that much more beneficial now that the safety culture is changing so you to follow up on the word that you just used that is a kind of a good maybe start to wrap this conversation up is you use the, the L word learning. And so and you talked about that how critical it is that we learn from things. And so if we go back to why is where we started this conversation today, is why is it is reporting important if we don't know about it we can't learn and we just live groundhog day over and over again 
So anything else that you can share? It's that that's some some really good stuff and you're doing some really good stuff out there. And you uh, have been a, a good resource to me and to the rest of the safety community. So I very much appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Maybe that's a topic for next go round is uh, learning. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go out there and save a life. And thanks again, Nicole. Thanks, Pam.